So if you would turn to Genesis 1, and I'm going to read two verses tonight to start us with. So Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before we get into the days of creation themselves, uh, remember last week I talked about why Genesis, uh, because it's been 40 years since we did it, so it's about time to redo it. Uh, More importantly is the Bible, to remember the Bible is a covenant book in whatever disagreements, well, I shouldn't say whatever, in the disagreements we will have over this and what I will be saying tonight. You know, there are extra people here tonight. I wondered if they came because they knew there were going to be fireworks. Uh, Shame on you. No, that's okay. Um, But at any rate, the the Bible is a covenant book and that governs our understanding and our appreciation not only of Genesis, but of all uh, scriptures, all the historical events and so forth that they fit within the covenant story that God is giving to us in this book. And Genesis is a book of beginnings and we took note of some of those things. And where we left off that I just introduced but really didn't get into it is in verse one, there are four core doctrines of orthodox of, of orthodoxy regarding creation. And very, very important. I'll have a fifth point I'm kind of, kind of squeezing in there, but uh, the four points kind of go with the words, in the beginning, then God, and then created, and then heavens and earth. And I'm going to squeeze in the idea of ex nihilo when I talk about creation. So in the beginning uh, is when God created. The beginning of what? Well, the beginning of our material world, of our created world. <clears throat> That's when uh, God did this activity. Uh, there's no matter that was pre-existent, nothing, no one, no person, no thing that was pre-existent. Uh, nothing was there except God. And he created the heavens and the earth. And we have a parallel thought in John 1, familiar verse. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that has been made. Now I'm going to come back to that idea, but we have a reflection of the Trinity in the creative work. So in the beginning, uh, there's in a sense, the inauguration of time is here. Um, you could, you would say time did not exist prior to this moment. And when God creates the world, he creates time. Uh, he is, in the sense, timeless or above time. Uh, he's not confined to time. You and I are. But in the order of creation that he was making, he puts us under the governance of time. And the, the angels, their creation, aren't spelled out in this text or in this, even in this chapter But the angels were either created first in the beginning or they had been created just before the beginning of this material world was to be created. And the reason we know that they were there when God actually got down to business creating 
this world is in Job chapter 38, when God is confronting Job and and humbling him, uh, God talks about creation. And he asks Job these questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched uh, out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Sons of God being sons of Elohim. It's a familiar term used for angelic beings in the Old Testament. And so the angels, the spiritual beings, they're created too. They're not eternal. Uh, They were the creation, but they were either the very first creation of God when he begins creating this world, or they, he had created them just prior to the beginning of this creation, but they were there to sing for joy and uh, to shout for joy and to sing together with God in celebration for the marvelous work that he has done. So we have, uh, again, the angels are created, uh, but they were present as God begins this creation of the heavens and the earth. So we have the first thing in the beginning. The second uh, doctrine is God. In the beginning, God. It reveals to us the reality that uh, he was there before the beginning. Uh, And he's the only one that was there. Uh, God is eternal. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. God is um, there. And there are several attributes of God that certainly are at least implied, if not directly uh, drawn from that. The first is that he's self-existent. You and I need a creator. We have a creator. God isn't created by anybody. He is self-existent in his being. Uh, He is there. Uh, It humbles us uh, to think of ourselves in connection with the the Lord God. He is self-existent. Men in their stupidity and sin want to make God accountable to us. Well, he's not accountable to us. Uh, It's not that any man, even Nebuchadnezzar would say, who can say to God, what are you doing? That we have no business asking God, what is he doing? He may tell us. He may explain things, but he is self-existent. And we can add some of his other attributes. He's omniscient, omnipresent, uh, um, omnipotent. But he is uh, complete in and of himself. Another attribute that grows from this is God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. Uh, He doesn't need anyone. Uh, A.W. Pink, in his little book on the attributes of God, frames this under the title, The Solitariness of God. First time I read that, it kind of threw me for a loop. But what he's getting at is that God is sufficient all to himself. Sometimes musicians will write these um, ditties and they will sing about how God created because he was lonely. 
Well, nothing could be absolutely further from the truth. God was not lonely. He did not need man. He did not need the service of man. He did not need man to give him glory. He did not need man to love. He may have chosen to create man and to give him love, but he didn't need man. Within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is the most beautiful and perfect expression of love that can be. And and God is self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He's completely um, sufficient in and of himself. And it some people say, well, it robs human life uh, to, to realize God didn't need us. But no, it actually <clears throat> places great value on human life because he didn't need us. And yet he chose out of his sovereign goodwill to make us in his image. <clears throat> so God's attribute of self-sufficiency, he obviously is eternal God, Abraham knew God as the eternal God. In uh, Psalm 90, one and uh, verse, the first two verses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. <clears throat> He's everlasting. He's eternal. And the fact that... Um, Along with that, he's immutable and he's unchangeable. Gives us a great deal of hope and comfort. We can depend on God. He does, he changes not. You and I, well, I won't blame you. Me, I change practically every second. You know, you're calm one minute, the next minute. Uh, you want to pop a pill to calm yourself down? Hey, there's, we're, we're completely changeable. And, you know, these young parents that have little ones, they know they're unchangeable. <laughs> Any minute. They, they're happy and smiling. And then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, there's a scream. That's who we are. That God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He's, he can be trusted. He can be dependent on. We may not always understand, but we can know him and depend upon him. And the triune God is at least implied in this text. <clears throat> As we read in the first, God created the heavens and the earth. We compare it with John 1. Jesus was there creating the heavens and the earth. We have the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. All members of the Trinity are there at creation. Even though our creeds and confessions generally attribute the creative act to the Father, the Bible helps us to appreciate, and even though that's kind of the primary focus, helps us to appreciate that all members of the Trinity are there not as clearly revealed as would be later on in the New Testament, but nevertheless, we see glimpses of it even there in the very first two verses of Scripture. Later on in this chapter, when we read that uh, when God's ready to make man, he says, let us make man in our image. There's the plural in God in what he's saying. 
Elohim is a plural name. Doesn't mean automatically that the Trinity exists, but it's an indicator. It's the plural of majesty, but nevertheless, you get a reflection of that. So we have in the beginning, and then God, and then the third element is he created, uh, that he's the one that made the heavens and the earth. He carries out uh, the work of creation. So everything that's created is directly created from the hand of God. And so it's, it's critically important that we affirm that. <clears throat> In our shorter catechism, we ask the question, uh, what are God's decrees? And the decrees are uh, uh, God's um, eternal purpose, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And then we ask the question, well, how does God carry out his decrees? And the answer is, God carries out his decrees in creation and providence. So he begins the world, and then he, in his divine providence, keeps the world until the end. He creates you and his providence watches over you to the end. But God's the one who is the initiator that he creates um, directly from his hand. Uh, And I'm going to sneak in here another little point. He created out of nothing. There was no pre-existing material, no matter that he had to kind of work his hands around to create. He creates out of nothing. And uh, take your hymnal and turn in the back to page 922. And it's the chapter on, the Confessions chapter on creation. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph. But it kind of sums up some of these things I've just been saying. It pleased God... Excuse me, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. So you have the... um, Confession reflecting the triune God is involved in that creation and he creates out of nothing and um, uh, all very in the space of six days and all very good. And then the fourth element is just stating what he created. So in the beginning, God created and then the fourth element is the heavens and the earth. In other words, all that we see, everything that exists was created out of the divine power and might of God. So he created the physical world in which we live. So these are the core orthodox doctrines of creation that if someone claims to be orthodox needs to affirm and to believe. And uh, we need to hold on to that. Uh, then there are uh, two areas of conflict. See, this is why Ryan wanted me to do this one. He, he was wimping out. He, he wasn't going to get in the fight. But I'll, I don't want to be in it, but I'll get in it. 
there are two areas of disagreement uh, regarding the, um, in the, in the creation discussion between Christians. <clears throat> and uh, one is the interpretation of verse two, and the other is the length of the days of creation. Now, James Montgomery Boyce preached uh, nine sermons on Genesis one and two, and five of them were on the various differences, the different views. And uh, I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> we're going to go as far as we can tonight, and then we're done with this. We're going to move on. But Genesis two has this uh, is an area where there is some difference of opinion. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And a couple of the different points of view is there are, <clears throat> there are those who say this is, uh, what, this is where Satan entered the world and caused the, create, caused the chaos and the darkness and the emptiness. Uh, in, and uh, one um, proponent of this view, Tony Evans, very fine man, but he, in his commentary, uh, describes it this way. He says, in Genesis 1-2, the Hebrew phrase translated formless and empty connotes a desolate, uninhabitable place. Why would the author describe God's new universe like this? <coughs> Some believe God intended to show us his progressive approach through creation. And the following verses do show God using a process. But it seems that something else has happened between verses 1 and 2. Because disorder and darkness do not reflect the character of God. Someone else arrived on the scene and his name is Satan. We get few, de few details of Satan's fall in this chapter. Uh, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 provide more. But it appears that his rebellion plunged the earth into darkness. Fortunately for humanity, even when Satan is active, God has a plan to save. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, ready to bring out order, ready to bring order out of chaos. Now it is true that this Hebrew phrase is used at times in the Old Testament for a period of evil or uh, the presence of evil in a situation. <clears throat> but it does not necessarily have to mean that in every single context. And um, we don't know exactly when Satan fell. Well, I'm going to give you my opinion. I don't think it was here. Um, uh, to me, the only thing we can categorically say is that the fall of Satan took place sometime between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And we're not given, we're, we're given some descriptions of that, as he mentions in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, but we're not, it's not spelled out here. Uh, I think, and I have a, a good support here in a moment, I think what this is describing is simply the beginning that God created uh, his working material from which then he creates <clears throat> the, uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, and it was uh, the process that he was doing. E.J. Young, very uh, good com Old Testament commentator and theologian, says, the earth is described as desolation and a waste. 
This does not affirm that it was a confused mass in the sense of being disordered or jumbled, but simply that it was not habitable, not ready for man. Insofar as these words are concerned, we must conclude that they simply describe the earth as not habitable. Uh, So it's not bad or it's not evil. It just means it hadn't been all the formation of uh, the earth in, in a habitation for man hadn't yet occurred. God was about to do that. <clears throat> and I think that's uh, what Genesis 1-2 is referring to. It's just the, the earth in its um, initial stages as God is going to begin the process of uh, his creation. And so the second area of big disagreement is over the length of the days of creation. Uh, it's... Um, or to phrase it another way, what is, what is the nature of God's description of his act of creation? Is it to give us the scientific mechanism by which he created the world? Or is there something else? Uh, it's a, a literal description that God created the heavens and the earth. You have to hold on to that. <clears throat> but what is being described here? In some ways... Uh, I, I wonder, I think, that the, the, the debate partly comes up in this, this area over the difference of agreement over the age of the earth. If you believe in a young earth, then a six 24-hour days is a very reasonable thing. If you believe in an old earth, then there may be another um, <clears throat> thought that comes the way. But so the first view is that there are six 24-hour days, and that's my view. I've held that for quite a long time. I think as God describes the days, he's describing the process by which, how, by which he created, and that when he says there's evening and morning one day, or day one, and then day two, and day three. <clears throat> so that's um, my view of the, the length of the days, uh, whether you say it's giving the scientific mechanism of how God created the world or just the process in some way, um, it's describing how God did the creative work. He could have done it all in one day. Uh, he could have done it in one minute. Uh, he could have done it in any kind of process. <clears throat> but in, in generally, the 24-hour day view does connect itself to the young earth idea that the earth isn't billions of years old. Uh, it's younger than that. <clears throat> um, but that's, that's one view, that the uh, days of creation are six 24-hour days. <clears throat> but I have become comfortable with the idea that you could look at this as a poetic description of God creating the world in uh, however long in time he wanted to create it, uh, not withdrawing at all from the fact that God created the world, uh, but that it's describing uh, in, in a poetic form God's act of creation. It doesn't have to be connected to an old earth view, but it could be. So to be orthodox, you have to affirm unqualifiedly that God created the heavens and the earth. And I used to be very uneasy about um, 
drawing back from six 24-hour days. So let me explain some of the reasons why I've kind of come to see that maybe there are some other views that are still orthodox, but different from that. The, um, one of the things was uh, in 2004, the OPC did a study committee on the view on the days of creation, the view of the days of creation. <clears throat> uh, there remain really strong disagreements in the OPC over the matter, but this study committee in 2004 presented a report and it uh, worked through some of the different views of the length of days. And you can still find that report if you want to read it. I read it very carefully and thoroughly at that time. Um, you can go to the opc.org website and a little tab at the top is General Assembly and you click on that tab and you drop down and you'll see General Assembly reports and you can find that among others on there. <clears throat> and just to toot my own horn, when you click on the General Assembly tab and it drops down, you'll see a picture of General Assembly and yours truly is in that picture. <clears throat> So that's true, a much younger years truly. So if you ever, if you ever wanted, if I actually went to General Assembly, <laughs> there's confirmation proof that I did. <clears throat> but uh, so in reading that report, helped me to kind of think, reflect a little bit. Um, Another thing that I think has been very important in my own thinking is just to remember what's the purpose of Genesis 1. Uh, the purpose of Genesis 1 and all the account of creation is not primarily to give us a scientific mechanism. All that the Bible says about science is accurate or his history, but it's not a book of science. Um, or even a book of history. It's a covenantal book. It's to tell us about the work of God. And as I've thought about that, you know, in, over the years, uh, God, uh, the, the purpose of Genesis 1 is not to give us an account of that mechanism, though I think it gives us that, but it's to tell us something much more important. And that is when God created the earth, he was creating a world where his kingdom would be placed. And he was creating man to be the ruler of that kingdom. It's the foundation of the covenant work. As he creates man, and as he puts man in the covenant relationship with him, then that kingdom is to grow. Man is to rule and reign over the kingdom God is establishing. So the purpose isn't primarily... The mechanism, the purpose, I think, is primarily to tell us about that kingdom. <clears throat> and S.G. DeGraff, I mentioned him last week. I'm going to read you a couple of his paragraphs. <clears throat> I think he believes, seems to like he believes in the six 24-hour day. But let me read you some of his thoughts. In this first section of Genesis, we are not just told that God created all things. What is revealed to us first and foremost is the kingdom of God. At this point, we cannot speak of this kingdom as the kingdom of God's grace, for by grace, we usually mean the favor to which we have lost all claim. That is the favor of the forgiveness of our sins. 
But to avoid confusion, therefore, we should speak here of the kingdom of God's favor. The institution of the kingdom of God is central to this chapter. In preparing the earth in six days, God repeatedly brings forth the higher from the lower and makes the lower subservient to the higher. In other words, earth, plants, animals, man. Um, And finally, he creates man and makes him king. And with the creation of man, uh, with the creation of earth's intended king, God reaches the culmination of his work. When we tell the story this way, we must not glorify man as he is in himself. It was God who made him. Moreover, he made man in his own image so that man would be able to exercise dominion. Man remains completely dependent on God in everything and in everything he is to serve him. The kingdom of God can therefore be described as that kingdom in which all things have been subjected to man while man is subjected to God in voluntary obedience. Remember, he's writing this for Sunday school teachers. So he says, it's not enough then to tell the children that the world was created by God. They must learn more than that. If a child's heart has been touched by the spirit of the Lord, he will also long to hear more. He will want to hear about God living in communion with the entire creation. This communion was present in the kingdom of God. Man exercising dominion served God. And so to me, the debate over the length of the days isn't as, has not become as important to me as remembering why God created. He created to put his kingdom on this earth and you and I to rule in his stead in this kingdom. And we fell. <clears throat> and God sent in a rescue, a rescuer of the Lord Jesus Christ. The... Um, Another reason that kind of has pulled me in this direction is uh, a poetic view of either Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 is unavoidable. Uh, So if Genesis 1, we take it as the mechanism by which God (coughs) created the earth, when we get to Genesis 2, we have to do something different. Because it's not in that order. Uh, the plants are created, then man's created, and then the animals are created. So, which is it? Is it Genesis 1 or is it Genesis 2? There's no conflict. I'm not saying there's an error. There's not an error. It's a different focus. It's a different point. But there's a difference. We have to do something with that difference in what we reflect about it And uh, and how we work our way through that, and I think we, re- I think we work through it by realizing that one of the chapters is a more poetic description, which I think is two, uh, because the focus is on the creation of man, the creation of the covenant of man, <clears throat> and um, how God has created man to be put into that place. Um, So we won't get into the days of creation, but I want to illustrate this 
um, by this point, even if we, if we, even if we take the, the, uh, the days of creation and say it's the mechanism, it's, 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 it's given to us really in kind of a poetic form. Um, Will, uh, Willem uh, Van Gameren, I mentioned his book last week, has a really neat outline, I think, over the days of creation, just kind of group them. The first three days are the formation of creation. <clears throat> the last three days are the filling of creation. I think that's really kind of a neat way to look at it. But if you uh, could look at, if you could have a chart in front of you, see, I'll try to do it your, from your view. So if you look at the three first days of creation, you have God created light on day one and separated it, light and darkness, one day. Then in day two, he created the sea and the sky. <clears throat> and then on day three, he created the fertile earth and the plants. Well, then if you can see in your parallel columns, here are another set of parallel columns. So in day four, lights here, over on day four, it's the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, the rulers of the, the light. And in day five, you're looking at the sea and the sky, and you see God creating the birds and the, the fish of the sea. And then you come to day six, and on day three, remember, was the earth and the plants. And day six, then, is the creation of the animals and man. And so even accepting that it's the mechanism order <clears throat> of it, <clears throat> which I do, <clears throat> even still it's done in kind of a poetic way. How those kind of things kind of parallel uh, uh, to us. And um, we see the, the, the glory of God in, in, even in the way that he expresses those things. So I will have us quit here and come back and look at the six days of creation. And um, we'll probably come back to Genesis chapters one and two for two more times. One, the days of creation and introduce the creation of man. But then I'd like to come back to man one more time and look at that covenant that God placed Adam in. Um, There's some other miscellaneous thoughts I have, but I think I'll quit uh, at this point. So whether you agree or disagree with me, uh, the, the thing we can all glean from this point is the glory of our God in creating the heavens and the earth and that we bow and worship to him. And his character and his person revealed even in that act of creation is such a blessing and a help to us that as we live before him, <clears throat> we can trust him, depend on him, and glor- glorify him for all that he has done. And may we do that. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the wonder of your love, the great act of your creation, your sovereign purpose and will. Not that you needed to do that, but in your marvelous love and kindness and goodness, 
you created the heavens and the earth and you created us to be in this earth. You created us exactly uh, the way you wanted us to be. We know from uh, your word in Psalm 139, how you knit us together in our mother's womb. We are created to be just as you want us to be and to serve you in this world, to know that we have meaning and purpose, even when our life seems to be in disarray, even when things don't go exactly as we think we wish they would. We know that you have ordained all of these things and that you will be with us and you will be helping us all along the way. May you continue to raise in our hearts love for you and a desire to please and honor you. And may you be glorified in our lives in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.